Welcome to the men's global live stream. If you have a Bible, you're going to want to hold two spots, one in Luke 9 and one in Matthew 7. Those are two key texts for today's study. And also, I want to encourage you to download the notes because uh, they have all the scriptures there. They're going to be on the screen, but the downloaded notes allows you to, uh, after the, the live stream, get with the passages and dissect it yourself and even teach it and give it away. If you're joining us for the first time, we are in part two of a series called Roadman, and the headline for this series is that every man is traveling the road of this life on his road to God, right? There's the road of life. It involves people, circumstances, victories, defeats, losses, and we want to travel that road of life with Jesus until we get to the end of the road, and the end of the road means simply there's going to be a transition to the next life, right? And today we're going to look at the Jesus road. When Jesus was, was walking on earth, he was inviting. He was walking and inviting, walking along the road of this life, advancing the kingdom of God, inviting men to follow him. And we're going to look at some passages where Jesus invites men in his own words, but then he also warns men of the realities of what it means to walk the Jesus road. And to get you thinking in the right direction, I want to ask you a question. Have you ever heard the term taking the path of least resistance? Taking the path of least resistance, that's when you make an intentional decision to go for that course of action that avoids confrontation. It avoids discomfort of any kind or personal tension, and it also tries to avoid, my favorite, emotional drama, right? It's where you kind of say to yourself when faced with a choice, hey, I'm going to take the easiest way to keep this train moving forward, even when that way is not the most beneficial or even the best way. There's that um, little lawyer inside that says, hey, don't, don't rock the boat, man, right? Let's, let sleeping dogs lie. Easier is better, right? And, and that may be true uh, in other dimensions of life, but it's not true in your journey with God and your journey to God. In fact, Jesus said, willful suffering and voluntary sacrifice was in his forecast on our journey to God. And this is the road of commitment. Let's be honest. It's a road of commitment that very few men are willing to take. And perhaps nobody is willing to take in the moment who's traveling this Jesus road with you. They'll choose the, the path of least re resistance. And in choosing that, some things break out, right? They might have to disguise the truth. They might have to deceive themselves. In choosing the path of least resistance, they might have to dilute their own witness or diminish their light, which Jesus wants them to shine. But God's man, by contrast, has learned that the narrow road that he is asked to travel by God produces a few things. First thing it produces is spiritual integrity. The second thing it produces is a sure blessing. The third thing it produces is less regret, listen, 
in the end, right? Those are the blessings of the narrow road, right? Might not be the most popular road, but it's the narrow road, and God says, that's where we develop integrity. That's where you find true blessing. That's where, in the end, you're gonna have less regret. You see, God says, easier isn't always better, but godliness, while costly, right? At times, will always result in blessing. And so in today's session, you know, that, that the question in between the lines is, so what will it be, man of God? Will it be the path of least resistance where there's potential to dilute your witness, disguise the truth, or even diminish the light that God wants you to shine? Or the path of maximum obedience to Christ on the Jesus road? You see, only one path, Jesus says, leads to life. And to get us started, we're gonna take a look in the Gospels at a situation where Jesus addresses, he invites and then he addresses the realities of the path of following him. And, and just as some context, there were so many miracles connected to Jesus's ministry that kind of following him, you know, may have seemed more glamorous than it was. I mean, there's a lot of sizzle. There was signs, wonders, miracles, healings, crowds, right? But here's the thing, when Jesus invited a man to follow him, he never sugarcoated the truth. And the truth is, then and today, is that the majority of people are not willing to pay the price to win the prize of eternal life and eternal impact. And I want you to listen in this gospel passage from Luke 9, to Jesus talk to men about the reality versus maybe their fantasy or expectation of what it means to follow him. We pick it up in Luke 9, verse 57. As they were walking along the road, a man said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens and birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, follow me. But he replied, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts a hand to the plow and looks back, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. And so in that short passage, you kinda, if you were listening, you see Jesus talk about the reality of what it means to hit the road and follow him uh, versus maybe men's expectations of what it is. So let's unpack this a little bit. And let's look at three things that life on the road with Jesus involves. And the first thing it involves is costs you are expected to count, right? There are costs of following Jesus that he expects you to, to count. That's why when the man said, I'll follow you wherever you go, Jesus replies, hey, foxes have homes, birds have homes, but the son of man 
He's got no home. The reality of following Jesus was that he was going to be on the move. There was going to be a, a, a pace of following him and you had to keep up and there was a cost of following that had to, to do with the reality versus the, the fantasy or false expectation. And the follower was expected to kind of pay that price. The second thing that we see is that life on the road with Jesus involves conflicts of priority you are expected to endure, right? Conflicts you are expected to endure. What kind of conflicts? Conflicts of priority. And whereas costs you are expected to count, that checks your expectation. Conflicts you are expected to endure, that that will challenge your priorities, right? Um, the man uh, said to Jesus after he invited to f- him to follow him, uh, said, Lord, first let me go and bury my father. And Jesus said, uh, let the, the dead bury their own dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God, right? Where Jesus is essentially saying, you know, I know that's important, but I'm more important. And that's that feels like uh, Christ, when he says that, right? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. Seek first uh, the kingdom of God, where Jesus has priority even over earth's highest priorities. The third thing we see about life on the road in Jesus is that it involves commitments you are expected to keep. So there are costs you are expected to count, conflicts you are expected to endure, and commitments you are expected to keep. Commitments that have to do with what? Commitment of strength and focus. You know, that last charge and example that Jesus is used, Jesus uses in this Luke passage, where the man says, I'll follow you, Lord, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus says, no one, all right? That's pretty, pretty clear. Who puts a hand to the plow and looks back is fit for service in the kingdom of God. Now, in that culture, in a, in a first century culture, the agrarian life, the farming life was well known, right? And so Jesus pulls out for this guy a farming analogy, and, and he, he creates this picture of the farmer with his hands on the plow, and a farmer has to look forward. He can't look back. He always has to have his focus going forward. So there's that challenge of he's got to focus his strength. He's got to focus his vision. He's got to keep looking forward versus looking back. We might even say in today's uh, lexicon, uh, checking the rearview mirror all the time, kind of wondering what's going on in the life that we left as we're trying to move with Jesus on the road going forward, and Jesus makes it really clear. He's just like, just like a farmer can't look back, neither can you. You know, I've been following the Lord for 39 years, and man, this just totally describes both uh, the challenge um, and the joy of following Jesus. He is truly on the move. God is on the move. God's on the move right now in your life. God's on the move in your community. God's on the move. The kingdom of God is advancing forcefully. And Jesus said in the gospels, and forceful men lay hold of it. I mean, it's like grabbing the tail of the whale, right? 
He's gonna change you, he's gonna change your life, he's gonna change your priorities, change how you see life, change how you see people. I mean, this thing is a class five rapid with Jesus. It's called the kingdom of God and it's advancing forcefully. Think about that word, forcefully. And forceful men lay hold of it, whoa, right? So of course, Jesus is honest. There's our expectation of what life traveling with Jesus on the road of life will be like, but then there's the reality. And the reality is that Jesus doesn't sugarcoat it. He said, there are costs you are expected to count, conflicts you are expected to endure, and commitments you are expected to keep in the moment, right? You will make decisions, right, with your ultimate destination in mind kingdom of God, that's the filter. It's Jesus, It's he's the king, and it's his kingdom that we're going forward. And that's really going to test your whole life structure, right? Um, so Jesus makes it very clear. We're gonna move to that passage in Matthew 7, where again, Jesus doesn't sugarcoat, uh, he doesn't confront, he doesn't comfort, but he does challenge. Listen to what Jesus says about salvation and the destination. He says this, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life. Listen, and only a few find it. Wow, you know, I, I was thinking about the, the high school assembly where the branches of the military come in, you know, there's Navy, there's Army, there's Air Force, there's Marines, and the Navy guy goes and gives a, a, a 10 minute pitch, and then the Army guy goes, he gives a 10 minute pitch, the Air Force guy gives a 10 minute pitch, the Marine guy steps up to the front, and he's just like, hey, there's only a few of you that have what it takes to be a Marine, and I'll be over there, thank you very much. And of course, the longest line was the line to investigate how to become a Marine. Now, this statement by Jesus, small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. I hope it hits you that same way. It's a challenge. Jesus isn't uh, saying no one can follow me. Uh, he's not comforting us though uh, with respect to what that's gonna be like. Um, he's, he's challenging us. Uh, that this, this life, salvation is an exclusive thing. It's through Jesus alone. That's the narrow gate. There aren't many roads that lead to Rome, at least not according to Jesus. There's one way. He says, I'm the way. He's the gate. He, it's a narrow gate. That path that goes like this, it goes like this. You want to get to God? You got to trust in Jesus Christ, in his person and his work, right? And, and then there's this other choice where it's the popular one. It's, it's the one that, that caters to man. It's the one that lets him keep the way he lives and have a path to God. And it's a false, it's a false fountain that people like that are drinking from. So that's salvation. But you know, the road with Jesus after salvation, it's the same thing, right? It's a narrow road, right? The road doesn't stop when you get through the, the, the gate. It just continues to be narrow. It's full of costs and conflicts, and priorities and commitments, right? And it's at odds 
with this broad road that culture is on. There's Christ's road and there's culture's road. And he's drawing a contrast between the two. There's the many and there's the few, right? Man of God, you're a part of the few. That's why you're watching or listening to this podcast from wherever you are, right? You're a part of the few because there's that eternal part of you. There's that commitment to Jesus that's ready to pay the costs, willing to endure the conflicts. And you're ready to keep the commitment that you made, but it is a challenge, amen? It, it takes daily refocusing and resetting, and that's why I'm so glad you're here on the Men's Global live stream. Jesus this made this a theme. Uh, he was very upfront, very famous passage from Luke 9. Jesus says this, Then he said to them all, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. And so here we are in Luke 9. Earlier on in the Gospels, Jesus' invitation sounds like this. Come and see. And then he'd ratchet it up. He would say, all right, come and commit. And then ultimately, when the crowds began to dwindle as the invitation got more serious, Jesus would give this invitation. Come and die. When you say pick up your cross daily, that's an, that's an instrument of execution, right? That means that something's going to die, right? And in the spiritual road with Jesus, your old self is put to death so that the new self can rise. Old desires put to death, new desires for God come into play. Old lifestyle gets put to death, new lifestyle in Christ. Old character habits and attitudes die, new character comes and new habits come that reflect Christ likeness, right? So Jesus, in traveling the road with him, the invitation is open to all. But he's upfront that it's come and see, then over time, come and commit. We'll get notched up. The pressure will get notched up. Then ultimately, he'll just say, all right, come and die. Everybody listening to this video podcast on the Men's Global Livestream, you're in one of those places right now, right? Maybe you're on the front end of your relationship with Christ and you tuned in and you're like, man, this is really cool. Well, just know that anybody can be saved if they enter through the narrow gate and commit their lives to Christ. Maybe that's you. And you responded to Jesus saying, hey, come and see, right? And now Christ is in your life, but as you begin to walk this road, the Jesus road, um, he will ask for increasing commitment. He will say, come and commit. And then he will get to a place with you where he'll require of you your whole life. It's like, no, it's, it's, it's everything. Jesus gave his whole life, and so you would expect Jesus to demand our whole life in our commitment to him. So Jesus says, write this down, the narrow gate leads to a hard road, right? The narrow gate leads to a hard road. The narrow gate of salvation leads to a hard road where there's costs, right? That we're expected to count. There's conflicts that we're expected to endure and there's commitments that we are expected to keep. And so going back to my initial um sort of metaphor, right? The path of least resistance. In the spiritual life, easier is not always better on the Jesus road. Popular is not always the path. In fact, rarely is the cultural path the Christ path, right? Jesus said, you're in the world, you're not of it, right? So let's examine now 
the Jesus road. That's just kind of a setup that's hearing directly from the mouth of Christ about the realities of following him. And now we're going to look at what the Jesus road, we're going to unpack it even at a deeper level uh, of what it involves. And the first thing that uh, the Jesus road involves is it's a road of crucifying the flesh. Okay, write that down. Versus what? Satisfying the flesh, right? The Jesus road is a road of crucifying the flesh versus what? A road of satisfying the flesh. Listen to what is at stake from God's word on this whole theme of listening and being driven by the flesh versus being led by the spirit, all right? It says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. All right, so there you go. You got obligated to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. You will die, you will live. You will die, you will live. I think every man listening to this sound of my voice right now. It's like, I wanna live, right? But so many times, our impulses, our appetites, our addictions, our wants, our passions, our desires, right? There's just no brakes. And we just take our foot off the brake and press the gas on the flesh, right? And we want what we want when we want it. We indulge our appetites, we indulge our addictions, we indulge our thoughts, we indulge our flesh, and we give in to the impulse, right? Versus what? Holy Spirit discipline and self-control. Now, I want you to see how crucifying the flesh is connected to maturity and satisfying the flesh is synonymous with immaturity, right? So you got a little toddler, and we sort of expect toddlers to want what they want, what they want it, throw temper tantrums, fall down, do the, do the toddler flop, flip around, throw, you know, get upset, you know, when you deny their flesh, right? They get emotional, they get angry, right? That's a toddler, right? driven by impulse, controlled by their appetites and by their flesh, right? A man, on the other hand, as the toddler grows up with increasing age, is supposed to come increasing levels of self-control. Here's the problem. When you have a grown man with man-sized responsibilities, but with toddler-like character when it comes to impulses and appetites, that's destruction, okay? That's immaturity back here and immaturity up here. You know, that doesn't fit. And that's where the Bible is so honest, right? If you don't get your flesh under control, if you don't get your impulses under control, what happens is the flesh says, hey, make a good thing the ultimate thing, right? And then it becomes an addiction, an obsession, an impulse-driven life. The Spirit of God says, thank God for the good things, 
but keep the ultimate thing, God. And that's what we call self-control, right? Where God is God, God is first, God is over my flesh, the Holy Spirit is over my flesh. I'm filled, led by, controlled by the Holy Spirit on a daily basis. And then I can experience freedom. Listen to what it says in Galatians 5.16. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The images of two people walking together in partnership, in communication, right? Just imagine, you know, like a SEAL team or a group of army rangers, you know, they're in communication. They're, they're in close communication, close contact. They're advancing, right? Because they have to ingress on a target and they want victory, right? Just imagine your, your partner, your battle buddy is the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is dropping thoughts, is dropping impressions, is, is speaking to you through the word of God, providing leadership through uh, the word, and is letting you know, hey, this shows love for God. This shows love for people, all right? You got it? Come this way. Walk by the Spirit. Listen. It's a picture of close partnership, right? But in contrast to that, uh, there's the flesh. And the flesh wants to be gratified now. Don't No thought process. It's like stimulus, response, right? That's not walking in the Spirit. That's walking by impulse and self-gratification. But you know that you're walking by the Spirit when there's a stimulus, all right, and you're pulled, but then there is this, this cognitive process, this spiritual process where you're just like, okay, I gotta assess that impulse. Does this impulse show love for God? Does it show love for people? There's an assessment, it's a no. The Holy Spirit is saying no, and then you're gonna walk with the Spirit versus be driven by the flesh. So the Jesus road uh, involves a road of crucifying the flesh versus what? Satisfying the flesh. How do you do that? You walk in the spirit. Secondly, the Jesus road uh, involves living by faith, right? It's a road of living by faith versus what? Living by sight. All right, write that down. The Jesus road is a road of living by faith versus what? Living by sight. As you can see, we're teaching by contrast. Well, let's go right to the words of Jesus in John chapter 20, where he says this. Then Jesus told him, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed, right? Faith and belief, what does that involve? Right? It involves commitment without knowing. That's faith. Right? We do it every day. Right? We get in the car, we turn over the engine. We're strongly persuaded that we're going to get from point A to point B, but we don't know before the fact. Right? Somebody along the way might be texting or drunk driving or do road rage. We don't know. But we're strongly persuaded, mostly because we've driven from point A to point B so many times that we're going to get there. But you do it in faith, brother. You don't do it in fact because you can't know if you're going to get there. Same thing when you get on the plane, right? You don't know if you're going to land. You're strongly persuaded you're going to land, but you can't know, right? You're trusting the physics, the plane, the mechanics, the guys in the cockpit. Hopefully they're trained well. That's all faith, brother. That's all faith. You're committing before knowing. You go to the doctor, you take medicine, right? 
You just pop it in your mouth by faith, right? You don't know anything about the bioengineering of that drug. You are totally trusting the dude in the white coat that he's trained, he knows what he's talking about, he's properly diagnosing you, and that he's sending you to the pharmacy to pick up that medication that you're popping in your mouth completely by faith, right? Not by sight, you don't know before the fact that that's happening, right? So we can only be strongly persuaded. And Jesus says to Thomas, hey, you know what? You believe because you've seen. Listen to the next audience. Blessed are those, you and me, right? Who have not seen and yet have believed. We're traveling the Jesus road when we're traveling it by faith, not by sight, right? Talks about this in 1 Peter chapter 1. Verses eight and nine says this, though you, man of God, have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. There's a lot there, but it just reinforces Jesus's point. I've never seen Jesus physically. Have I encountered him through the Holy Spirit? 150%, that's how I got saved. That's how I came into the faith. Back on July 2nd, 1982, I had an encounter with the resurrected Christ in my room at 6788 Hanover Drive. It was insane, right? I was seeking the Lord. I said, Jesus, if you're real, I wanna see you. I was calling out to God and he came and he manifested his power and presence. Did I see his physical body? No, I did not. But you know, from that day forward, even though I haven't seen him, I love him. I'd be willing to give my life for him, right? I believe in him. And along this Jesus road for 39 years, I have been filled with so much joy because of that love and belief in him. What I love about this passage from 1 Peter is it says that I'm filled with joy for you are receiving, circle that word in your notes, the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. That word receiving is in the present active indicative. What it means is that you've received it and you keep on receiving. You receive and you keep on receiving because you love and believe in him, believe in him, you're gonna get refilled with joy and you receive that Salvation initially, filled with joy. Why? Because you said, God, I'm gonna love you. I'm gonna believe in you, right? And you got filled with joy. And then you hit another crossroads and you're like, God, I love you. I'm gonna commit to you. I'm gonna believe in you. And then you get filled with joy again. So it's you receive and keep on receiving the end result, listen, of your faith, right? When you commit based, right, on the person and work of Christ and the promise that he gives us, right? The salvation of your soul. You see, here's the thing about salvation, fellas. It's not a then and there thing. And that's the way most people think. It's like, oh, salvation is when I die and I go to heaven. No, salvation starts the moment that you give to life your Christ. He saves you and he keeps on saving you. You receive him and you keep on receiving his joy, okay? So the Jesus road is a road of crucifying versus satisfying the flesh, living by faith and not by versus living by sight. Third, the Jesus road is a road of embracing hardship and growing. Okay, write that down. The Jesus road is a road of embracing hardship and growing 
All right, let's do our contrast. Versus what? Fearing hardship and groaning, right? The Jesus road is one of embracing hardship and growing versus fearing hardship and growing. Listen, nobody likes hardship. Nobody likes suffering. Nobody likes tribulation. Nobody likes cancer. Nobody likes divorce. Nobody likes rage. Nobody likes murder. Yet, Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, but take heart. I've overcome the world. It means that there's this other process that is right alongside hardship, and it's a God process, right? And it's parallel to it if you're walking on the road with Jesus, right? Talks about this in the Bible, in Romans chapter 5. It says this, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God, right? Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Wow. Glory in God, awesome. Glory in our sufferings, really? And this goes all the way back to what the gospel is, right? The gospel is the person and the suffering work of Christ. Was God in that? Of course he was. Was suffering present? Of course it was. Was God's transcendent purpose of saving and redeeming you there as well in the midst of the suffering? Yes, it was. And that's why you and I are going to heaven. We have to remember that the gospel that we believe is also the gospel we live. The gospel of salvation is also the gospel of the road to Jesus, right? Where God doesn't stop having purpose because there's suffering involved. But that's what the devil wants you to believe. Got a negative emotion, God must not be working. Got a negative circumstance, God must have abandoned you. And he bombards you with all these lies. If that were true, then we're all going to hell because the cross of Christ was horrible, the suffering was horrible, but was God in it? Yes, it was. If God was involved in that and redeeming that and creating your eternal salvation out of that, God can take the suffering that you're going through today and he can redeem and repurpose that to, to bring glory to him. That's the only way you can say, we boast in the hope, future, of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings now. And it clues us in in Romans sort of how we can do that because when we walk the Jesus road with Jesus and we enter into suffering, he's with us. And when we know someone's with us, we can persevere in the midst of that. And then when we persevere, the product of perseverance is this thing called character, right? We start growing up, right? We start getting stronger. We start enduring. And when you have character and you know you can get through things, right, versus those things stopping you, that gives you hope, right? So the next time you enter into a time of suffering, you persevere more, you get more character because you're, you've been built up by the previous experience. And you know what? You say to yourself, you know what? I can do this. I can get through this. I've been through that. I can do this. Jesus, you've been through that. You're going to get me through this. See how that works? And the road of Jesus is a road 
of embracing hardship. Nobody welcomes it, nobody signs up for it, but when it comes, we can embrace it and grow versus fear it and just complain and and play the victim and just groan um, all day long. And, and guys, I know that you understand this, but I'm gonna say it to you anyway. Pressure verifies commitment. You know that. Pressure also produces precious things, right? Pressure produces gold, right? It gets heated up, refined. Pressure produces diamonds in the heart of the earth, right? Heat and pressure. Pressure produces pearls, right? They only form inside those little, those little shells at depth, right? So pressure in the spiritual life calls forth from you character that perseveres and that perseverance and that ability to persevere produces hope, especially when you enter the next season where maybe God's calling you into some pressure or suffering. It's not gonna, it's not gonna win. Why? Because you have character. Your character can handle that. So the road of Jesus, okay, is a road of crucifying versus satisfying the flesh, a road of living by faith versus living by sight, embracing hardship and growing uh, versus fearing hardship and growing. And lastly, the road of Jesus is a road of visible godliness. Okay, write that down. Visible godliness versus what? Let's do our contrast. Invisible worldliness. You see, there's a compare and contrast. Jesus always compares uh, being in him versus being in the world. And, and he, he likes to put it into a metaphor of light. Listen to him talk, very famous passage from Matthew 5. He says this, you are the light of the world. That's our identity. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father who is in heaven. So, you have an identity, according to Jesus, of light, right? That's your identity. Well, what does the light do, right? A light shines, a light is visible, a light is seen. There's an expectation by Jesus for you to be visible and to act godly. And as you act godly and as you love God and love people, in every way possible, something happens. People notice, right? Why? Because light is in contrast to dark. The dark isn't loving God and the dark isn't loving people. But here's this person over here who's saying no to self and saying yes to God and yes to people. No to self, yes to God, yes to people. And over time, people are going, whoa, what's going on with that dude? Can I just tell you something what the world is waiting for? All you 700 million men who name the name of Jesus in this world right now, they're waiting for you to shine your light in the spaces and places where God has placed you, where you live, where you work, where you play, where you pray. God has called you to be visible for him through godliness, right? Versus what? Invisible through worldliness. That's why Paul in Romans chapter 12 says, don't be conformed to this world right? There's a worldly pattern and there's a godly pattern. 
The worldly pattern just looks like everybody, all right? The godly pattern stands out. Jesus said, you put a light in an inky black house in the first century in an optimal space. You put it on its stand. In the first century, there's no street lights, there's no phone lights, there's no electricity. So they get a light, a lamp, they put the lamp in the optimal spot in the house so that it can light as much space as possible. Look, look at me, okay? Or pause if you're listening, just by ear. God has you right now on your stand, your optimal spot, right where you are. In the spaces you occupy, in the places where you find yourself, where you work, where you live, where you pray, even where you play. He's got you to be a light, to be visible, to be different, so that men can see the character and conduct of Christ in you and coming out of you, and it feels different, it looks different, they sense it's different, and what's their response? They start thinking about God. They're like, wow. This is possible. Is it possible that there can be God? Well, this guy's life is so transformed. He's so different. He's got something else going on. Men, I'm telling you, there is a movement, a dangerous one, of goodness and good deeds, spirit-filled, empowered men, that is going to take over this world in the days and months and years to come, right now. And that's what you're a part of. You're a part of this thing called the kingdom of God. So just remember that God wants you visible. Talks about this again in Matthew 15. It's one of the final huddles. And what what does Jesus say? It's actually John 15. It's wrong on the notes. John 15, 19. Jesus said, if you belong to the world, I would love you as its own. As it is, you you do not belong to the world, but I have chosen you out of the world. And that is why the world hate you. You see, it's a battle. It's a huge battle to not just blend in, right? I mean, it's easier to blend in, right? It's path of least resistance, right? You can just, you know, just go with the crowd, blend in, don't rock the boat, let sleeping dogs lie, easier easier is better, no drama, right? Sorry, that's not the life that Jesus called you to live. He called you to be visible. He called you to be different. He calls you to make different choices, right? We're not supposed to just blend in with culture. And, and, th- and in this cultural moment, so many Christians, right, they just stopped battling and they started blending. When Jesus said, you know what? If you belong to the world, I would have told you that. But as it is, you do not belong to the world. So, hey, this... Um, this Jesus road, right? We're not, we're Christ followers, man. We're not culture followers. So just stay focused in the midst of all these philosophical and political and cultural winds that are blowing. Lay your hand to the plow. Stay focused in your strength. Keep focusing on Christ. Keep worshiping Christ. Keep putting to death the flesh. Keep living by faith. Keep embracing those challenges. I know that you're challenged, but I also know that you're blessed. They go right alongside each other, 
right? Blessing and challenge is the road with Jesus. And your ultimate blessing is coming for sure. So we're going to close in prayer. And um, I'm just going to ask God to download through the power of the Holy Spirit right onto you where you are. So put down your pencil wherever you are. Stop. Um, You know, maybe if you're on a run, maybe you just need to kind of find a quiet space or just grab a seat, coffee shop, close your eyes in your car, eyes on the road, spirit connected to Jesus. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you that you don't sugarcoat it. Salvation is for everyone. It's for everyone. It's an open invite, but people can't create their own way to salvation. You said, I am the way. And Jesus, thank you that you don't sugarcoat things, that there is so much to be excited about when I contemplate a relationship with you. So do my brothers. You're the greatest man of all time. You're the creator of the universe. You're the shepherd of souls. You're the vine. You're the potter. You're the redeemer of man. You're my coming king. Jesus, you are great and mighty, and we are so attracted to you, God. But you also want us to know that there are costs on the Jesus road that we're expected to count. There's there's conflicts of priorities and relationships that we're expected to endure. Lord, there's commitments that when we put our hand to the plow, um, you don't want us to look back. You want us to keep our eyes focused on you, fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Lord, so help us to battle, not to blend. Lord, help us to put to death the flesh, God. Today, just help us to say no to the flesh and say yes to the spirit. Help us to say no to temptation so that we can say yes to God and say yes and a no. Lord, not just a no. Lord, we're entering life when we crucify the flesh. God, help us to live by faith, God, to take new risks today, persuaded by you, persuaded by what you've done, persuaded by how we've seen you work, Lord, persuaded by your person. Help us to live by faith today and embrace maybe some of the challenges that we're encountering with eyes of faith. Thank you, Lord, for my brothers right now. You're causing all things to work together for their good. Lord, I declare that over them, Lord, over men who are struggling to to keep their marriage. You're, You're using this. Lord, help them humble themselves under the mighty hand of God so you can lift up um, them up in their relationship with their wives, God. There are men battling addictions, and uh, whether it's pornography or substances or alcohol, Lord, third, fourth, fifth glasses of wine. Lord, there's, there's things out there that are polluting men's bodies, and God, I pray in Jesus' name that they would walk by the Spirit and not carry out the desires of the flesh. Lord, I pray that we would be embracers of your purpose in the challenges so that we could stand out. Lord, I pray that we would grow versus groan. Lord, and I pray in the end that there would be a wave, just a massive tsunami, tall, long, thick, a visible godliness that would shake the world right now in Jesus' name. Lord, I I declare men of light, rising all over the world 
hearing my voice in the spaces and places right where they are. You put them on their lampstand and I declare what you declare, that their light will shine before others today and people will see their good deeds and will turn to God. Thank you that you've placed us exactly where you want us to make the invisible God visible and to be your light. So Jesus, thank you for the invitation to travel this road of life with you. Thank you for being honest. And God, I pray that you would fill us with joy inexpressible as we obey and receive the end result of our faith, the salvation of our souls today, tomorrow, and when we meet you face to face. In Christ's name we pray. And all God's men said, amen. What a great study in God's word. Hey, if you like this, just share. Share this live stream with uh, someone that you care about, a brother that this might encourage, maybe who's going through a hard time, and we'll see you next week.